was just uh, thinking as we were gathered here that um, when Jesus first appeared on the scene, uh, Andrew came and told Peter, come see a man. Come see a man. It's more than seeing with the eyes. Something resonated with the spirit. Something more than our natural eyes can perceive. Peter later said, only you have the words of eternal life when others were departing. Many of the other ones who had followed Jesus started to leave, and he said, only you have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. John later said in his uh, epistle, he said, um, the one that we saw with our eyes, that we touched with our hands, the life was manifested. The word of life, the eternal word of life was made visible. Only you have the words of eternal life. Later Peter would say that we don't see him this way any longer. We beheld him in the flesh, but we no longer see him this way. And yet we see him. Blessed are you who have not seen, yet have believed. We can still encounter the spirit of the living God through Jesus Christ. We can still come and see a man. The son of man. The son of God. We can still behold him with the eyes of faith that have been enlightened because we have chosen to believe. I don't know whether that predisposition because of election is in everyone. God hasn't uh, given us uh, the right to discern that. But I believe that uh, something resonates in us when we're in the presence of God. And that's a good thing because that says that uh, God has his finger on you. Hallelujah. So I was thinking as we were coming together like this, so I, was gonna, I was asking the question, why do we come? Why are we gathered? I'm glad you are. And, you know, I commend you for your faithfulness. It's not easy to kind of uh, take the risk to come together. But I believe there's a blessing in doing that, and we're doing it safely. But uh, why are you here? In Jesus' day, many people came to Jesus because they had a need. They needed to be healed. They had wanted bread. They were poor. They wanted prosperity. They wanted the things that, uh, that were a blessing. The blessing that we sang about just the last song. People really wanted that. The trouble is that for many of them, once they had the blessing, they left because they were satisfied. We'd had enough. We got what we came for. Now we don't need to stay. That's when Peter said, when, he was, when Jesus said to him, well, you also leave. And he said, where else should we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. That's a need that can only be met by Jesus. And that isn't met when we have all the natural things looked after. Why are you here? I believe you're here, and I know I'm here because I'm in pursuit of God. I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection life. Because that goes on to eternity. What natural things we have, that's gravy. That's extra. Those are the condiments. It's not, where's the beef? 
you know, the real thing is the eternal life that God has given you in Christ Jesus. And he has caught you into a place where you have met the man, where you have met the Son of Man, where you have met the one who can transform your natural life but will prepare your life for eternity. Only he can do that. That's why I'm here. That's why I keep coming back. Because I have met the man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory. What a man. Son of man. Only he has the words of eternal life. And boy, something in you resonates. You are not born just to live for a few years and then die. You are born to receive eternal life from God and go on with him forever. To be reconciled with God just as Jesus was reconciled with God. Just as he was not reconciled, but he was at peace with God. God give you peace. That peace only God can give. So we become the people of the way. I think I would like everyone to have that as their motive. Not to neglect the full salvation and therefore come short of the potential that God offers you, but to be a true follower, a true disciple of the way, capital W way of the life and the truth. Living in peace. In the shalom, a lot more to shalom than simply absence of conflict. It is the presence of God. It is the peace of God that passes all understanding. It is living in harmony with the will of God. With the will of God. Let's see if I can get this to work. I want to talk a little bit about that once and for all sacrifice that Jesus provided. You know, sin essentially means that we're living in an atmosphere where we have a predisposition to a conflict of wills. Sin is a conflict of will. It's rebel. It's rebellion. It is a conflict of will. So I just kind of think of it in that phrase, that way. What happens is the out, whatever happens, whatever we do is the outcome of which of the opposing wills wins. Because in a conflict, there's winners and losers. In a conflict of wills, there's a will that will win and a will that will not. And what happens is the basis of what choice is made, which will is allowed to gain ascendancy. That's why Jesus told his disciples, pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What was the first request that they made of God? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God. Jesus modeled this. As the writer here says, it is written in the roll of the book, I have come, specifically come. To do your will. So is God's will the cross? It was. To establish peace between God and man. What was the reason for the cross? To establish peace between God and man. So that the conflict of wills would be forever. One sacrifice forever. One sacrifice for all time. For all 
is so that the conflict of wills would end forever. Not momentarily, but it would become a total change and transformation in the heart of man so that the conflict would end. That is what it means to be reconciled to God. The end of the conflict of wills, where your will becomes His will and His will becomes your will. And that establishes peace. The cross was necessary to answer the prayer. The cross was an answer to that prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the answer to that prayer. And it is the only way that it could happen. It's the only way that God could make it happen. God was asked, make this happen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? Well, the only way I can do that is through my son who gave himself. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it was not possible. If God had to reconcile man to God, the only way that that could happen was through the cross. God sacrificed himself to make peace. He took that lower road. He didn't wait for you to sue for peace. He made peace. The cross was what God had to do. It was the way and the only way that he could do this for man. So the will of God for us is living in the place of peace. What is God's will for you? That's the big question. Most people ask, what is God's will for me? Well, his simple answer to that question is, he wants you to live in a reconciled place. He wants you to live in a place of peace with him, in a place where your will and his will are together, where you are happy to be in his will. What is his will? What is his will for you? What is his will for you? His will is based on love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's his will for you. God is more interested in who you are than what you do. Because what you do flows out of who you are. So the priority is to make you a new creature in Christ Jesus so that what comes out of you will reflect God's goodness, kindness, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, self-control. All of that flows out of the character that he's made you new. That's the will of God. It's not so much what you do. Everybody thinks that sin and the will of God is about what you do. No, it isn't. That flows out of who you are. God is more interested in who you are than what you do. He can convert a glass of cold water into a miracle. He can take that glass of cold water and make it into a glass of wine. He did it with barrels of them. Why can't he do it with one? No problem. Hallelujah. So we have to think about this in that light. We have to think about Jesus and our role and our place in life and how God deals with you on the day-to-day basis is all in, in, in that context. That his will for you is to be at peace with him. So he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Hallelujah. The chastisement... That is, the punishment that was needed for us to be reconciled was carried in Jesus. That's why we say there's no punishment now in 
in the covenant. In the new covenant, there's no punishment. Why? Because God laid some of your punishment. All of your punishment. He laid all of it on Jesus. If you put it on Jesus, he's not going to put it on you too. That's double jeopardy. He's not going to do that. He's a just God. Wow. Oh, are you sure about that, Pastor? I don't know. I think, you know, we have to have a little bit of punishment or we won't do right. If you're living in harmony and in peace with God, you don't need punishment. You might need discipline, but you will not need punishment. All right, so what about this? The time has come. The judgment begins in the household of God. You sinners. Well, that is the Bible. Does that passage worry you? There does seem to be a little bit of a threat in that passage. And, you know, I think an aspect of this is true. It does matter what you say and do in life. Your behavior does matter. What you do and say in life, what you do and say in life does matter. The psalmist said, but if the Lord should keep track of iniquities, who would stand? He was way ahead of his time, David, when he said that. He figured it out. Should we approach God with fear and trembling since we all therefore come short? It's good to have a fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord in the New Testament is not the same as the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord in the New Testament, there's an absence of punishment. And what there is instead is awe and wonder and a respect for who he is. Peace with God recognizes who he is. He's God and we're man. Yet we're told in the book of Hebrews that we should come to the throne of... Okay, so judgment now has to do with grace. It's still a, a place of authority because it's a throne. It's still where he sits in power and in authority. But we come to the throne of grace. We come to the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. How does this reconcile with that? Well, the beauty of having grandchildren is you get to learn over again what you should have learned when you had kids in the first place. <laughs> you get to see, well, that's how I should have done it. Uh, so they come. You know, our, my grandchildren are, are, are always approach, if they come to me they will, or grandma, they will come with great confidence. Every time they come to our house, first thing that happens is snacks. And so we prepare ahead of time and have them all lined up in, in order of age and preferred colors, goodie bags, all in a row. Can you picture it? And they come rushing in. I want snacks. And they're running right over to the snack counter. They get the snacks, and they're observing it. Then they look at their neighbor, and they're observing their bag. If there's any discrepancy between the bags, they approach the throne of grace. <laughs> and what a righteous judgment. Let me judge the bags. They got more than I did. 
I like purple. They have the purple ones. I want this. I want that. And they're approaching because they want a judgment rendered in their favor. That's what grace means, unmerited favor. It's not because they merit it. It's because they want a righteous judgment. They want a judgment that is in their favor. When we approach the throne of grace, we are looking for a judgment in our favor. In the book of Daniel, it says that it is given to the evil one to overwhelm the the saints until the Son of Man sits on the throne. The Son of God, one like the Son of God, the Ancient of Days, sits on the throne and judgment is rendered in favor of the saints. Why do we come to the throne of grace? Why do we come to the communion table? The communion table represents the throne of grace. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the high priest that sits on the throne of grace. Hallelujah. And he declares favor on the saints of God. Whatever is accusing you, you are not the accused. You are the plaintiff. You are the plaintiff. I want... I have been victimized by this devil. I'm sick and I'm victimized by the devil. This is not your will for me, God. I am a plaintiff. I'm coming to the throne of grace and said, this is what you paid for my healing and I want it now. And he renders favor to the saints. You need a good argument. You need a good argument in the court of heaven. What is your argument? I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. Lord, I want a better voice. (laughs) Give me grace. (laughs) You will find mercy and grace. You will find mercy and help at the throne of grace. Joel spoke brilliantly on mercy, by the way, last week. If you missed that, listen to it on the podcast. Fabulous, fabulous message. Depth and revelation in that message. That will serve you well. Hallelujah. He comes to transform us from the heart outward. That will change how we behave. We're focused on behavior. You're not hitting the root. The root is the heart. Out of the heart flows. What we need is a change of heart. A change of heart will change our behavior. It will. And God will not count your iniquities. They will be remembered no more. Listen, if punishment could work, the Israel of God were, they, I mean, you know, I've known a lot of Jewish folks and, and they follow the law, a lot of them very, very strictly and they're very good. I mean, Muslims follow, the law, follow their laws very strictly. There are a lot of very serious people. If punished, because there's a fear of punishment, if punishment could do the trick, there would be no need for Jesus to have come. God could just have meted out more and more punishment. It doesn't do the trick. 6,000 years of human history shows that fear and punishment cannot change the human heart. It can restrain and curb lawlessness. But there's a darkness lurking in every human heart. Paul said something. He didn't say this, but he said that's the intent. I am what I am by the grace of God. 
because there's darkness in every human heart. After he started thinking about his past and how terrible he was, the worst of sinners, he says in one place, I am what I am now by the grace of God. What does that mean? It means it overruled all the other things that may have been held against him in the past. This is the overruling. I was going to say the trump card, but maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't want to get political. <laughs> all right then, well, we appeal and we ask for judgment on our behalf. We do so without fear. We can come boldly. We can come... And, uh, and we can say to the Lord, we want judgment on our behalf. And there's an expectation of judgment in our favor because we are the plaintiff. Therefore, we come without fear, but we come because we need help. We come because we're victimized. We come to the throne of grace, not as the accused, but as the plaintiff. And we appeal for judgment in our favor. Well, then what about bad behavior? We can't just pretend that there isn't any. Oops. We'll get to that. What about bad behavior? Well, again, coming back to children, you know, I'm sure if your parents, you've heard this. He hit me. I was victimized. And, of course, that behavior has to be restrained, and there has to be a place of justice for the victim. That's what happens here on earth. Bad behavior cannot go undisciplined, as every good father knows. And it's not good for the child to be undisciplined. Because they are part of a society. And they have to be able to fit in, and they can't do things that hurt somebody else and create victims. So punishment is needful to obtain our peace and well-being uh, for us uh, that was put upon our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is restraint there is discipline, even though our punishment, our eternal punishment was laid on him. That's why hell is reserved for the devil and his angels. God would not that any of us should go there. So even the thief on the cross who'd done things that he deserved to be there, Jesus didn't say, okay, you're forgiven, get off the cross. He had earthly punishment, but he did not have eternal punishment. There are consequences for our bad actions, and sometimes we have to pay for those. We can ask for help, and God sometimes helps us through those things and helps and gives grace, gives us means to pay the debt, gives us means to get through things. But sometimes when you've done things, you end up in a prison, natural prison. But there you can meet Jesus, and he can help you through the prison. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, so... But Jesus came so that we might see and see things differently and be able to walk in a different way. So let's see. If we look at the big picture, we'll get to see how grace will work. And I believe, again, God's objective is found in the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the question. What about, so I was asked this question, what about the Ten Commandments? You mean the Ten Commandments don't apply anymore? Will they be enforced in heaven? Will the Ten Commandments be in heaven? Is that going to be on the wall of your mansion? 
my feeling is that the Ten Commandments as, as given to Moses will not be in heaven. Why? Because you don't need them. Well, you need to be reminded not to kill, steal, commit adultery, bear false witness, or covet your neighbor's stuff, or wife, or husband. Will you need to be reminded of that? Should you have that on your wall? Don't forget. No murder. This is heaven. I don't think you're going to need that. Because the former things will be remembered no more. And there are no victims in heaven. There's no sorrow, no pain, no crying. Everything negative will be gone. So that will not be in heaven. I'm not even sure you'll remember the Ten Commandments in heaven. But even the Jewish lawyers at the time of Jesus, when he asked them, what is the essence of the law? They said, the essence of the law is this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's still in force. It is the spirit of the Ten Commandments. It's the spirit of the law. Love God and love your neighbor. That's it. Those are the rules of heaven. That law will be on your wall in the mansion. Don't forget to love God. Don't forget to love your neighbor. And grow in it. Get better at it. Hallelujah. The people will not be victimized because the predator is in prison. Even the lion will lay down with the lamb. The rules totally change. Hallelujah. These are not issues. They are the former things which will be remembered no more. Hallelujah. So the Ten Commandments will not be there. If you have them on your wall, have a good look at them now because they're not going to be there. You're not going to be able to see them later. Hallelujah. So those laws will be in heaven. And blessed are you that your eyes are opened. For judgment I come into the world so that those who see will become blind. Those who think they see. But those who see not, well, their eyes will be opened. Hallelujah. Because they see things differently. Grace is an appeal to love and self-sacrifice. How does this work on earth? Grace is an appeal to love and self-sacrifice. If you love God and you love your neighbor, you will naturally obey those rules and bigger rules because you'll get behind the heart of it so that even, uh, as Jesus said, even if you look at someone to lust after them, that's the same as adultery. Well, you won't do that because the love of God is in your heart. Even the most law-abiding citizens at the time in Israel would not have would not have agreed with that. They would say, "Well, you, you know, you can get well, you can get away with this, you can get away with that." The law says this, and they had all these lawyers. There would be no lawyers in heaven. Well, there may be lawyers here, but there won't be lawyers there. Hallelujah. But there is evil. In the world. So the reality of it is there is evil here in the world, in case you haven't noticed. So I'm actually glad that the thou shalt nots are enforced here on earth. Because I don't want my stuff stolen. I don't want to go out in the street and get killed. So the Ten Commandments are for here because they also have a component which constrains evil. 
If you're living in peace with God, you don't worry about those things only as potential victims. Because not everybody here lives with love of God and love of their neighbor. Some here are predators. They need to be restrained, and I'm glad that those laws are still in place. The rules, as I think it's Paul said, the rules are, the laws are for the lawless. And it is so that we can live in a society that's protected. Grace does not let you get away with unrighteous things. Grace helps you not to do those things. And helps you to continue in that space. Grace has transformative power. Zacchaeus was a publican and a sinner. Nobody liked him. People on their way to Jerusalem to worship God had to pass through his barrier where they had to pay a toll to go worship. And his fellow Jews were taxed and, you know, were, were taken from, and they're on their way to serve God. What a nasty guy. Jesus comes by. He was nasty. Jesus comes by and entered in, and he saw in Jesus something, and he entered into a relationship with Jesus. He, that relationship transformed Zacchaeus, that hard-nosed businessman, that crook. And he said, I will repay four times anything that I have taken away from somebody else by error. And I'll give half of my goods to the poor. Wow. He was transformed. What a transformation. Hallelujah. God is in the transformation business. He changed his heart. That changed his behavior. And this is the rule of grace. This is how God's, God's intention is, again, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not because it's forced, but because his will is this. Love, joy, peace. He wants you to have that, and he wants you to behave like that. He wants you to walk in that spirit. He wants you to walk in his spirit. And when you do, you will not fulfill the laws of the, uh, the, you will not fulfill the sins of the flesh. Because you're walking in the spirit of Christ Jesus, who was without sin. Hallelujah. So judgment does begin with the household of God. And the judgment is this. Which will will you follow? We still on this earth have our own will, or we have the will of God. My job here is to put my will into submission to his and to walk with him in harmony. The same way when I said, when we, Janet and I got married, our, our, our multiple wills became one will. We're now, we're now one. So we flow in harmony. And, and you know, yes, dear. And you think I say that. We both say that. We walk in harmony. Hallelujah. So let's get to the bottom line. Because life is in the here and now. And I love that scripture that says, for one sacrifice Jesus, that Jesus made, it is for the here and now, but it is also for all of eternity. The one sacrifice endures forever. It is the transformative power of God. So Jesus said, do this as a reminder and in remembrance of me. Would you like to approach the throne of grace, children? <laughs> Did you get all the same bags? <laughs> Hallelujah. Do this in remembrance of you, of me. Communion is for those who are in pursuit of God 
for the love of God. Is that why you're here? I just lost all your attention, didn't I? <laughs> all right, come up here and get some punishment. <laughs> Ain't happening. All right. Just don't forget, you're the children of God. And he's got a lot of tolerance for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to join in communion. It is, a, it is a, a reflection of why Why are we here? Why do we gather together? What is the purpose? Come see a man. Come see Jesus. We're not here for any other long-term reason. You may have other, other reasons for being here right at the moment. But the long-term reason is you want to be in harmony with God forever. Hallelujah. So let's partake together. All my scientific knowledge has not helped me to open this. Hard fingers wouldn't allow separating. Anyway, let's give thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your body which was broken for me, that through your flesh I might find entrance through the veil of sin, past that veil of separation, and into the very presence of God. Lord, as we partake of this bread, what we want is to live in the presence of God. We want to have the full salvation that you paid for by your sacrifice. So now as we partake of this bread, we acknowledge, we remember that's why you came, so that we could have access into your presence through the veil and into your presence. We partake of the bread in Jesus' name. Lord, even in the natural, the blood... It's only good for the immediate use. So, Lord, we are looking to be transfused by the lifeblood that is in you, by your spirit, which applies the blood to our souls, to our heart, to our spirit, through your spirit and our spirit, in our spirit, Lord. We apply the blood to our souls. We ask you to renew our minds to conform our wills, and to stir up our emotions so that we may truly love you. Have peace that we can feel and have joy that wells up like a spring. We receive it now, Lord, with the anticipation that through your blood all those fruit of the Spirit will become evident in our life because we receive it through the grace that has come to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
I'm wondering if I could ask, uh, did Holly disappear? Oh, she did. Okay. Let's just remember the song then that we sang of last as we uh, go, Lord, just let your peace, let your joy, let who you are rest and remain on every one of us. And Lord, uh, may that become, Lord, a channel that we can bless our community so that as we love you, the love of you, the love that we have in you flows out from us to our neighbors, to those around us. We want you to be manifest in us, even as you are manifest in the flesh to the disciples. May you be manifest in us, we pray. Amen. God bless you and keep you and give you peace. Amen.